I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, hello, my favorite people in all the world, all over the world. So glad that you are here, like always. And of course, we have more family with us, and you all listen. I'm always telling you, and y'all might be sick of me right now, like, you always send everybody bomb. They are. And I'm just going to tell you, the person we have with us today is truly changing the game in so many ways for what she is doing to help students, to help families. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. Let me just go ahead and say this before I let her tell y'all, since you'll like, believe me, she has collectively helped students win over $15 million in scholarships. Do I have your attention now? Good. All right. So, Dr. Jennifer Price, hello, hello, hello. How are you? I am great, Dr. E. So glad to be on your podcast today. So glad to have you. So glad to connect with you and look to just know about the amazing work that you are doing, especially as a first gen. It is just exciting. And, you know, I like to jump right into it. So please tell us all of who you are and, you know, and and why why you do what you do. Let's let's go with that today. Sure. I consider myself an educator and counselor. I have over 20 years of experience and I've visited over 200 colleges and universities across the country. I love what I do. I help students, uh, teenagers, young adults with a plan for career success. And it's a joy. It's a privilege to sit down, have those conversations and, and, and plan, you know, what their future might look like and how to get there in the most efficient way, the most strategic way. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't feel like work. <laughs> Isn't that the best when it doesn't feel like work? Right. It is. <laughs> So it's interesting for you to get into this kind of work, seeing that you are first gen. What led you to that, to go through this experience and then to turn around and help other people as well? You know, I think I was born to do this kind of work. Uh, and I, I did have a pivotal moment. You know, we all have a moment sometimes that kind of is the game changer in our lives. And, and for me, that was when I was in junior high. I knew that college was the plan that was taught to me from birth, practically. I knew I was going to college, but we never talked about how would we pay for college. Hmm. And so I kind of took it upon myself to, you know, decide that I was going on a full scholarship to college. And and someone came over, they were trying to sell insurance to my dad. And, and I announced to him very proudly, very boldly, I'm going to college on a full ride academic scholarship. And of course, hmm. that was not helpful to his sales pitch, but I was very determined. And he told me the wrong thing. He told me it wasn't possible. Hmm. And that was one of those defining moments for me. And I was like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. And so then I started working my plan. And before it was all said and done, I had written away for scholarship applications, studied the applications and started becoming the ideal scholarship recipient. And so by the time I finished high school, I was able to go to college on a full ride academic scholarship. So it did Mm -hmm. pay off. Uh, And also even my master's degree was paid for. 
too. I didn't stop there. I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> mm. So how did you manage to get both the master's and the bachelor's paid for? Because that's not something that I think a lot of people know that they can do for one, but then two, thinking about how to do it at the graduate level. Do you have any thoughts that you could share with us about that? Absolutely. There's some, I think from looking at the scholarship applications and researching them for so many years, and even professionally being in this field, I've noticed that there are some patterns in terms of really big money years. And, and when I say big money years, I mean time frames in which you have the chance of winning the larger amounts of scholarships. And those are generally when you enter as a freshman into college and when you enter into graduate programs. And so entering into that master's program or even a doctoral program, those are the bigger money years in terms of being able to find money. And I'll talk about kind of where to look for those, but let me kind of explain a little bit more about the big money years. And so one of the things I recommend people consider doing is to go all the way through if you can, because you kind of have the momentum going. I know it's kind of hard because I know I felt some burnout a bit going directly into my master's program, but you have the momentum in terms of taking those standardized tests like the GRE or whether you need the GMAT or whatever. And so having those higher test scores, you know, going into the graduate program right after undergrad is a great big money year. And so in place, in terms of where to look for the money, I normally encourage people to look at the university level first, and, and that would be under freshman admissions or the graduate admissions department. Those are the places to look. And also looking in the department that you're wanting to study in and talking with faculty if you have relationships with them. Because not only could the department have additional monies, but there may be opportunities to be a teaching assistant or a research assistant, or maybe even some fellowship opportunities. And I was able to get some fellowship opportunities to do research. And also I was a teaching and research assistant as well at the graduate school level. And so between the scholarship from the university level and the departmental funds, everything was covered at the master's level. That's really awesome because I know some people like they don't even go to grad school because they don't know how they're going to pay for it. And, you know, it's something that I think creates another barrier to education. Mm-hmm. And I think we both know, of course, it's education, not that more education is necessary always, but to be able to have it to navigate in certain fields is something that is the reason why people like you and I, women, people of color, people who are first generation just across the board aren't able to get to some of the careers and some of the same opportunities as others because of those barriers. So I appreciate you for sharing that. We'd love to know a little bit more about, you know, the work that you're doing, even like with your book and your consulting and how you're, you know, helping people now, especially families and the youth thinking about what they're doing and thinking about college as well. Yes. And so I will say that I I realized from working in education, because I I do have a background in education. I worked at the public, charter and private school levels. And I I learned that there's some limitations to what students and families are able to get in terms of help with the college admissions process. And I'm sure if some of you think back to when you were trying to look at college, maybe you didn't have as much support as you thought would be available at the high school. And so I kind of saw that need and, and I also knew what I wanted to do because I did some career testing when I was in college, right around my junior year. And, and I kind of narrowed down what I wanted to do to, you know, counseling and education. And ultimately, I decided to go with social work and get my license in social work. But one of the things that I do with families is I'm able to sit down with them and really listen to 
my clients and hear what their their needs are and, and what their wants are. And it's almost like a dating service to some extent <laughs> them with recommended colleges. And I mentioned earlier that I visited over 200 colleges and universities, and that's part of how I do research. Isn't that a fun way to do research? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I find out kind of what they're looking for. I give them some surveys and, and we discuss kind of what their needs and wants are. And I, I generate a list of recommended colleges and I also add a layer of you know, based on your situation, this is what kind of scholarship strategy you may, you may want to look at. You may want to focus on going after scholarships that require high SAT or ACT scores or high GPAs, or maybe you have a lot of community service, or maybe you want to look at a school that you can work. You can go to school a semester and work a semester, which is called co-oping. And so depending on, or maybe they want to do military, do ROTC, There's different strategies. Maybe they have a high financial need from their family so they can take advantage of the FAFSA and the CSS profile. So depending on their circumstances, I might advise them a couple of different ways in terms of finding money for school. So working with them one-on-one, I obviously, a lot more during Zoom now, (laughs) but I also went back to get a PhD in instructional design and technology. And part of that is because I wanted to help students I wanted to develop solutions that involve technology and delivering the information on the college admissions process using technology. So that helped me create an online course, College Edge. Hmm. And there it is. <laughs> and again, and there it is. And it's the thing, again, to be so empowered as a first gen and then to move into spaces where you're empowering those who are not just first gen, but who are second and third generation, which I'm sure that you're able to do through your work. How would you say your story, just kind of growing up, because you have a unique story that I definitely want us to touch on. How would you say that that really has propelled you in what you're doing? Because you also are LMSW. And, you know, I think that that's really important to talk about, especially when we think about careers, because you did say, you know, being an educator and a counselor, but digging into how versatile your background is. But yeah, but back to the question I was asking, how do you think that your life, because you have a very powerful story that I would love for people to hear about just how you grew up? Yes, I actually have a a unique upbringing and I did come from a single parent home, but it was not what you would expect. Oftentimes you hear about single mothers and actually was raised by my father and he raised Mm -hmm. four girls by himself after my mom passed away. And so that was an interesting experience. Mm -hmm. He had to learn how to cook and clean. And and of course, he still did all the mowing of the lawn and, and, you know, washing the vehicles and repairing them. And he also tried to learn how to comb our hair, which... That didn't necessarily turn out. (laughs) But, you know, just really supportive. And, you know, he was driving us to and fro to our extracurricular activities and and just really was supportive and helping us to do whatever we needed to do to be admissible. And, And what's really a fortunate thing for all of us is between myself and my sisters, we have nine degrees. Mm. So that's coming from a, a man that was a single parent and he had a welding certificate and uh, he had went to school, community college for about two years to study a little bit. And he worked in utilities. And so I think he did pretty good, all things considering. Because <laughs> I was very small when my mom passed. I was only seven. Hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You, you were young, young. But you said that's all things considered and four girls, that's a lot of girls that, mm-hmm. you know, to have to yourself and to raise you all. But I definitely think that is a very unique spin because like you said, it's very 
very seldom that we hear that it's the man who's taking care of the family, but even more uniquely that your mom actually passed away. So it wasn't because of neglect or anything. It was a life situation. I give kudos to you and to your family, especially to your father for being able to just, you know, take care of what was his anyway. Right. But then to have four girls and to still be able to be a man and to still try and not to use manhood as an excuse for why he couldn't raise four incredible daughters. And clearly nine degrees, I'm with you. He did <laughs> something right. And, you know, instilling that go to school and get an education is something that I think I really, I mean, got from my grandfather and, you know, from my family, but definitely my grandfather kept telling me, you know, well, people can take everything from me, but they can't take education. They can't take what you know. So that really gave me an appreciation for learning as much as I could possibly learn. So thinking about you being an entrepreneur, what has been great for you? And, you know, what even led you to want to take that path? Because it's not one for the faint at heart. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, a, it's risk-taking. I mean, it means risk-taker. And, <laughs> and, and, and to be transparent, when I started off on this journey and to wanting to help students, I mean, in terms of trying to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up, I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. My goal was to help people. I realized after organic chemistry, the first, the second, the third time, that that was not necessarily the right choice for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I did the career testing and, and that was very helpful. And I did a lot of self-reflection and some soul searching. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, I wanted to help people. And then I determined how I could best serve people through, you know, counseling and in the field of education. But one of the roadblocks I ran into was the way that most people end up doing college advising is you are a guidance counselor for maybe 20, 30 years, you retire, and then you, as you are in the system longer, then you have an opportunity to be a college and career advisor. And so I was like, no, I know I want to do that right now. And so how do I accomplish that? And so that was why I earned the LMSW instead of going the MED route, master's in education route. And I was like, you know, with my LMSW, you know, I'm already ready to do counseling. I'm licensed by my state. I ended up at a charter high school that had a career center. And before I even graduated with my master's degree, I had, I had my field practicum in a career center. So within about... I don't know, six weeks or so, a position opened. And so I was working full time, <laughs> paying mm. the salary before I even graduated with my master's degree, doing exactly what I wanted to do. And so that was just, you know, that was a blessing. And also about some of the research I did on the front end before I ended up in that field placement. But I, I didn't necessarily want to become an entrepreneur. I just wanted to serve people and help mm. people. And so it drove me to kind of think outside the box. Well, how can I do that? And so I worked for other people for a season to, to gain skills, which is something that I talk about in my book, Generation Edge, your GPS for career success. The Edge methodology, the G stands for gain experience and skills. And so I worked for someone else to gain experience and skills. And then I also started my side hustle, college advising, and, and built that over time. And so for many years, I actually worked full time and did my business on the side before I was able to transition fully into that line of work. So it wasn't it wasn't purposeful that I, I hadn't planned on being an entrepreneur, but I just knew what I wanted to do. And, and I looked at how I could accomplish that, which involved me starting my own thing. Mm. But it's, like I said, it's really interesting for you to even mention that at the end of the day, it was about helping. And how often do people just think business is about making money? Yes, a business should make money, 
but at its foundation and its core, it's about solving the problem. It's about helping people in some kind of way, shape, form, or fashion. Every business is, even school. You know, it's a business, the business of education. But people don't see it like that. And some, not saying all, but some people don't, because even it being nonprofit in a lot of cases, and it's kind of like, well, that's not real business because they don't make money, but they offer a service, and that's something that you know is is worth noting. But since you've been like, I want to say, accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> But again, it's just the framework because what keeps you going is knowing what you're doing. It's it's being able to help people. That's how you show up every day. That's how you stay committed to the cause. What are some other things that you've learned now that you you wish somebody would have told you, you know, even four or five years ago, 10 years ago, those lessons that you're like, oh my goodness. Wow. There's so many things <laughs> in terms of what I would do different or to help someone to who was considering entrepreneurship. One of the things that I think I would have done you know, in retrospect is I kind of dragged out the process of transitioning from working full time and doing my side hustle to doing my side hustle full time. I did that mm-hmm. for seven years and, wow. and that was really tough. That was a lot of long hours, you know, working full time during the day. I mean, I'm not opposed to working full time and having those benefits because that is certainly valuable. But I feel like I wish I would have had a more carefully mapped out exit strategy so that I could have transitioned a little bit quicker because in my line of work, what I know now, it takes about two to three years of really like full-blown, full-time effort mm. to really get this snowball effect going, to get the word of mouth going. And and I didn't know that at the time. And so I think it would have been helpful to have a business mentor as well as coursework and like accounting and marketing specifically. I mean, those are some things. I mean, I went to school to become a counselor. And so they don't teach you accounting or marketing or how to run a business. And I think that would be a great idea for people who are in in the health professions because some people do have their own practices. I think that would be a great addition to a, a, a graduate program. But I would say those three things, have an exit strategy, a business mentor, and some coursework that would help someone who is not, who doesn't have a business background. And I'm very interested or intrigued by this idea of thinking about business, not being trained for business, because those of us who, like me and you, who went to school for the path of working in a different space and something came up, it's kind of like, well, now what? Because all I know is this. Mm-hmm. And all I know is, you know, I'm trained to do this thing. And I think the big thing for me was how do I take these skills and apply them outside of what I'm doing and still know that it'll work. So I'm like, huh, maybe we should see if we can shake up the curriculum and start. <laughs> we need a business course, you know, because really entrepreneurship is the way our, our world is really shaping itself right now, too. And so it's not too far fetched to think that maybe some kind of conversation around unique ways to use the degree or your degrees period, you know, it's not far to reach. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Especially with COVID, it's, it's, I mean, it's impacted so many different sectors and, and people are essentially having to potentially reinvent themselves and, and hmm. kind of figure out how to repurpose their skill set, identify their transferable skills and, and figure out kind of where their fit is. Or this is a time of reflection too, a mm-hmm. great opportunity for growth to pivot. Mm. Absolutely. Has that happened with you? Because I know it definitely happened with me. Does it happen with you too? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, in terms of just the traditional model of a college counselor is students come to you face to face. And so I'd already started meeting remotely using Zoom because I have clients from all over 
you know, the country. And so that was that was a natural flow to the way the business evolved. But in terms of helping my business to scale and to uh, basically replicate myself to be able to help more students and families, that online course is kind of a way for me to do that. And I had struggled with, you know, how would I, how do I want to grow my private practice? And, and I feel like technology was the way to go. And and so I'm grateful that, you know, College Edge is here now and students and families from all over the country can get the help that I provide students one-on-one now. And even with the book, too, that's another way to help more people. I really like that you say that because it's just rethinking, not stopping, not quitting, but rethinking what this means and finding a different approach to make it work. Because if you want to make it work, you will make something work. And even in this case, it even sounds like it's been, like I said, a great benefit for you that while this is a global misfortune is what I'll say that you make it work anyway and keep going because as an entrepreneur you don't really have the choice of well I mean you can quit right but when you really believe in it you know choosing not to quit or saying here it is what do I do next is always the constant question of what do I do next so thank you for giving us a perspective I'll say on just being able to be flexible and having an idea of what entrepreneurship looks like from them the space of it was one way January, but then March, it wasn't the same. <laughs> so yeah, so because I think we were all like, what in the world? Very interesting. But yeah, but even with you being an author, you know, an entrepreneur, a mom, a wife, there's so many things. How do you balance it all? <laughs> you know, I struggle with that question because, you know, I, I don't know that I, I balance it all. I think there are some days that I do pieces better hmm. than others. And, and with with the way the education has changed, I mean, students have the opportunity. Some students are some families have decided to send their child back to campus, and and, and I decided not to. And so that's that's been that's been a growth experience for me in terms of just you know kind of being a teaching assistant and also trying to work at the same time. It's, it's a bit challenging, but certain days I feel like I do a better job of being mom or being that teaching assistant. Are, are being that business owner, entrepreneur, you know, doing the marketing, wearing the marketing hat, mm. being the author. And so I, I guess I would say in terms of balance, I don't know that you can do everything well all at the same time. I think you do pieces well mm. at mm. a time. And, and that's a way, I think that's a more kind way to pursue balance. Mm. Not having to be perfect, but doing what you can, when you can, how you can. Yes. I mean, of course, it, it helps. I mean, self-care is definitely important as well. You know, mental, taking mental health breaks and taking care of your health and, and exercising and eating well and, and getting your rest. I mean, all of that's important. And so, you know, I think with everything that's happened with, you know, COVID, we've had to pivot in so many ways. <laughs> it's kind of like, you're juggling this now? Okay, let me add another ball or two. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes we may have to drop a ball and that's okay. We pick it back up and then we get back to it. Yeah, and that's, that's funny. I had such a, a great visual that in my head when you said it because I just thought about those just balls going around that circle and I even think I can't even do that. So, you know, kudos to the person that does, does the juggling, but I get it metaphorically. It's just, and you just keep going because life just keeps going. I love that. I love that. I love all these things. Well, we are at a point though where we are having to wrap up. You know, it's always the sad point of the conversation, but I also know that we don't want to keep folks all day and all night. Although I would. <laughs> but, you know, is there any parting wisdom that you would share with us or any words of advice about anything that you would just like to leave us with to grow and be better people? Yes, I would say do something every day that you love. 
Do something every day that you love. It could be as small as reading a book. It could be taking a walk. But be kind to yourself, especially during these days. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great way to feed your soul. Mm-hmm. Feed your soul. I love that. Feed your soul. Because I'm like, how do I feed my soul today? You should go ahead and write that book too, Doc. <laughs> go ahead, Dr. Brown. Look, you're the one for while I go ahead. And you heard it first on the first gym lounge. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Look, thank you so very much for your time today, for your wisdom, for the work that you do, for the lives that you change and for just showing up and being, you know, a vessel and trusting your path to be able to come back and encourage us all. I appreciate it. And I wish you nothing but the best and everything, you know, that lies ahead. Thank you. And I wish you all well. 